Um, let's just pray first to just invite God to be in the words that I speak. Dear God, this, this morning we're going to talk about the unmentionable name of God that the Jews consider so sacred they won't even say it aloud. And this morning, Lord, I want to give this topic uh, the gravity that it deserves. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would move through these words and help people understand and engage in your, with your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, sometimes I start a sermon with a joke. All right. There was an elderly couple uh, in the late 90s, very sprightly, had lived a, a healthy life and, and ate healthily and did lots of exercise, and they unfortunately died together in a car crash. And they both ended up at the pearly gates, and St. Peter was showing them in. And uh, he shows them their, their house. It's a beautiful, a beautiful mansion. And uh, the husband says, wow, this looks too fancy for us. What, what do we have to pay in rent? And St. Peter says, no, 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 it's free. It's heaven. This is the mansion that was prepared for you. The guy says, wow, that's amazing. And what about that golf course over there? Can I use that? And St. Peter says, yes, it's free. You can use it as often as you want. It's free? Yes, it is. This is heaven. And they showed them the buffet hall where you could eat. And the, the husband says, so where are the low cholesterol table and the, you know, so that I can avoid the high cholesterol? And St. Peter says, there's no sickness in heaven. You can eat whatever you like. This high cholesterol, low cholesterol, you just choose whatever you like and you enjoy it to the extent that you want. Nobody gets fat in heaven. And at this, the husband started to get quite angry. He threw his hat on the floor and he stamped on it. And his wife says, what's the problem, honey? She says, he says, look, Mildred, if it wasn't for your brand muffins and all your exercise, I could have been here 10 years ago. She says, <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit about uh, heaven today, but it's not about clouds and harps, as you'll find out. All right. Um, has anybody heard the phrase the synoptic gospels? Does anyone know what they are? The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they're, they're synonyms. They, they're similar, and that's why they're called synoptic, because they have a similar structure. They talk about, there's about six months of Jesus' um, ministry in Judea and, and the rest of it in Galilee. And there are lots of parables in there, and there are lots of um, teachings of, of Jesus. Um, there's a lot about where he went from place to place. And um, that's why they're called the, the synoptic gospels. They're very similar. The gospel of John stands out on its own. It's quite a lot different in structure. He doesn't have as many parables, and five of those parables don't appear in the other gospels. Uh, turning the water into wine, for example, only appears in John. Um, there's a lot more discourse, there's a lot more conversations between people. Do you remember the woman of Samaria and Nicodemus? It's, it's about the conversations and sometimes even argumentative or, or, or you know, robust um, discussion. Um, that robust discussion might be because uh, he was focused in Judea and the Judeans didn't really... Um, didn't really uh, get on with Jesus. They didn't, didn't accept him very well, whereas the Galileans did. So it was a bit easier to preach to the Galileans. But in Judea, there was a lot of uh, teaching and discourse. And this might be why the style of John and the content is quite a lot different from the synoptic gospels, those three. Um, Bible commentators summarize the differences as saying the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
concentrate on what Jesus did and what he said, but the Gospel of John is focused on who Jesus is. He's, John is trying to tell us who Jesus is. Um, John was in Jesus' closest circle. He was probably his closest friend. He was uh, the last surviving apostle. He lived until well into his, into his, well, he must have been over 100 when he wrote this gospel, some 90 years after Jesus' death. Um, he wrote it in Ephesus, which is uh, um, Western Turkey now, but it's uh, kind of, it, it had Greek influence back then, so some of his writings kind of reflect the Greek uh, philosophy. Um, so that's, that's why John's a little bit different. Uh, given that he's talking about who Jesus is, uh, the names of Jesus and John, the, there's, they're each worth a study on their own, but we're not going to go into every one today. He calls him the fountain of living water. He's the good shepherd. He's the son. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the savior of the world. He's the king of Israel. He's the bread of life, the way, the truth, and the life, the prophet, the true vine, the holy one of God, the light of the world, the king of the Jews, the Lord and my God. He who comes in the name of the Lord. So many names of Jesus. But the most puzzling for many of us is the statement that he just said, who are, you know, people would ask, who are you? And he says, I am. And because we don't understand that, it doesn't make grammatical sense to us in English. Translators have added words, and you'll see them in brackets in your Bible, just to indicate they're not in the original translation. So in John 8, 24, it says, for unless you believe that I am, Jesus says, but the translator puts in brackets, he, unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. 8.28 says, When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, you will understand that I am. But the translator has changed it to I am he. All right? And Jesus in uh, 8.58, he says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Very, very hard to understand. What does that mean to us? In 18.5 and 6, and this is important, um, Judas had brought the uh, Jewish officers to arrest Jesus and take him before Pilate for trial. And Jesus, they said, uh, are you Jesus the Nazarene? And Jesus said the same words again as he said in those other verses, I am, I am. And the, the officers fell back onto the ground in shock that he had used that name. Why is that? We're going to turn into Exodus, those of you who got your Bibles, and we'll, ha we'll have a look at why this is. Exodus 3. Exodus chapter 3 and verses 13 to 15. And Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, What is his name? And then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Um, the Jews for centuries regarded that name as so sacred, the word Yahweh, the name Yahweh, they would not even say the name. They'd come to it in the text and they'd just not speak it. And then they'd move on to the next word. 
or uh, they would substitute the word Adonai, which means um, the Lord is with you, I think, or he who comes in the name of the Lord, Adonai. So they would not speak that name Yahweh. And the original, um, they, they believe that that's a, a, a strict interpretation of the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. And, you know, we interpret that to mean don't use it in a swearing word, you know, God damn you or whatever, um, which is not very nice, but it's not the original translation of the, of the commandment. The commandment means do not use God's name carelessly. Don't use it frivolously. And the Jews interpreted that to mean we're not going to say it at all. That is the sacred, holy, eternal name of God that we're not going to even say. Um, now I'm a, and even today, the Orthodox Jews will not say that name. I'm going to tell you something now that is, is profound. It might even change your life if you take it on board. So if you forget everything else about this message, just remember what I'm going to tell you next. So the Hebrew spelling of that word Yahweh is just Y-H-W-H. There are no vowels in it. We've put vowels in it to make it pronounceable to us. The translators have put vowels in it to make it pronounceable to the readers of the Bible. But the original Hebrew is Y-H-W-H. Now, none of those letters are pronounced using the lips or the tongue. They can only be pronounced using breathing. So the Y-H is, is uh, pronounced as you breathe in and the W-H is pronounced as you breathe out. Now listen as I say those words in Hebrew. Can you hear the Yahweh sound? You realize that's the first word we speak as we're born? You realize it's the last word we speak as we die? Every breath that we take speaks the name of Yahweh. Isn't that amazing? So when Jesus was using the word I am, he was claiming a right to the divine name of God because the I am comes from the same root word as Yahweh. And that's why those, those guards fell backwards in shock when he said that because he's claiming the name of God. Isn't that amazing? Who remembers what the sign read that Pilate put above Jesus' head when he was put on the cross? Does anyone remember? Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. In Hebrew, the mnemonic, the first letter of those words spells Y-H-W-H. Amazing, isn't it? That's why the Jews didn't want Pilate to put that sign above his head. But Pilate said, hey, what is written is written. He probably didn't even know the significance of it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing, eh? So <clears throat> our key verse today was uh, from Philippians 2. It's on your newsletter, and it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> the unmentionable name of God, Jesus, owns it. Amazing, isn't it? 
So what does I am actually mean? Put it in the past, present, and future. Just, just rephrase it a little bit. I was what I am now. I was what I will be in the future. I am now what I was then. I will be in the future what I was in the past. I will be in the future what I am now. What does Hebrew 13.8 say? Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's here now. <clears throat> He'll be in our future. He's high and lifted up. He's the beginning and the end, all-powerful God, and he never changes. And this is the God who we serve, right? So we're going back to John a little bit. Uh, John 20. If you could turn to that, those of you who have your Bible. <clears throat> It's so powerful if we grasp that, you know, that we're breathing the name of God. Amazing, isn't it? John 20, verse 30. Excuse me a second. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miracles, miraculous signs in addition to the one recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Now, some translations just use the word believe, that you will believe in him, and that by believing in him, you'll have life by the power of his name. Um, it's subtle, but in Greek, there are two tenses that are used. Well, there's actually three, but there's a past tense, something that happens once and once only. And there's the continuous or the present continuous tense, which is what's used here. And so what John is actually saying is, um, the translation is, uh, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe and continue believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing and continuing to believe, you may have and continue to have life in his name. It's more than just a single event. I kind of liken it to um, skydiving. You know, you know, you go tandem skydiving and you get attached to someone who's going to take you safely to the ground. So it's one thing to say in your mind, hey, yeah, I, I believe he can get me safely to the ground. That's the believing, the past tense believing, the once and only event that occurs. But it's another thing to actually put into action your belief and tether yourself to this person and allow him to take you all the way to the ground. That's the tense that John is using. Believe and continue believing in his name. Have and continue having life. And that life is, um, the Greek is uh, the word zoe, which means the, the, the age, the life of the age to come. Um, by the way, I should, also, I should also point out that even John 3.16 uses that present continuous sense. We know that verse very well, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Believes is whoever believes and continues believing in him will have everlasting life. Um, John may have actually written that verse. Often we see it in red letters indicating that Jesus uh, said those words. But uh, I think John actually said those words. He was preaching. He was, he was uh, elucidating. He was expanding on Jesus' words and telling us 
about Jesus. That's why his purpose of the book was to let us know who Jesus is, that we might believe in him and continue believing on him. So the, the word Zoe means literally the life of the age to come. So many people think, like our husband and wife in the, in the joke that I told you, that it's about heaven, it's about mansions, it's about gold streets. Some people think it's about clouds and harps, God forbid. Uh, but actually what it is, it's a return to the Garden of Eden. So it's a return to the life before, um, before man fell. I see that there's a newsletter from last week still here. Henani, is that how you pronounce it? Henani. Um, and Andrew talked about how God was in the garden already. So when we when we call out to God and our troubles, He's actually there already. He's there. He's calling out to us. Where are you? I'm here. Where are you? Um, and this is the life of the age to come. This is going back to the Garden of Eden where everyone is in communion with God every day, every minute. Breathing him in, breathing him out. I've got to tell you another story. Um, a man was coming back from fishing with a bucket full of his fish in water. The fish was fresh, swimming around, and he got accosted by a fisheries officer who said, what are you doing with those fish? It's illegal to catch fish. And the man says, actually, they're my pet fish. I bring them down every day and I let them go in the water to have a bit of exercise and then I whistle and they come back, jump in the bucket and I take them home again. And the fisheries officer says, come on, all right, show me, demonstrate. Uh, not believing a word of it. So the guy takes the fish down and lets them out into the water and they took, they took a small talk for a little while and after a while the fisheries officer gets impatient and he says, oh, where are the fish? And the guy says, what fish? He had duped the fisheries officer, right? So the fish had disappeared. I see this as a picture of God, right? He, he makes the evidence for our sins disappear, right? He's always, he, he's, Jesus is looking for reasons to forgive our sins, not reasons to condemn us. Um, you read in Galatians 3 and Hebrew 11, you'll hear about Abraham being such a man of faith. And yet, if you look in Genesis 12 and 20, you'll see that Abraham was weak. He, uh, he went to a land where um, he knew that Pharaoh would lust after his wife, Sarah, because she was a beautiful woman. So he said, tell, tell them that you're my sister so that they don't kill me in order to get you. Um, so he pretended that Sarah was his sister and she actually went into Pharaoh's harem for a while until the truth came out and Pharaoh, uh, you know, God, God um, brought Sarah out of there. And he did the same thing with Abimelech later on in, uh, in Genesis 20. So is it, again, pretending that Sarah was his sister. Um, is this a man of faith? You know, is this a strong man of faith? The thing is, God looks, f he overlooks our weaknesses and, and uh, looks for the strengths in us, looks for the reasons not to condemn us. Simon Peter in Matthew 16 was told, Jesus told him he was the rock on which the church would be founded. Uh, several times Jesus said, do you love me, Peter? He says, yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And yet Jesus knew at that point that Simon Peter was going to deny him three times. 
He knew at that point, and yet knew he was going to be the rock that the church would be founded on. He, he looks for reasons to overlook our weaknesses. He's always ready to forgive. Matthew 1.21 says, uh, You shall bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 9.6, But you may, that, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Matthew 26.28 for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. John 3.17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. If Jesus can take our sins, like the fish in our story, he can make them just disappear. He's looking for reasons to bring us into his family. So there might be... Christians, followers of Christ here today who have been burdened with the weight of sin, weight of guilt, God is looking for reasons to take that away from you and to bring you into his family. Breathe his name. And you can experience some of that Zoe, some of that uh, life uh, as, in, as God intended before the fall. For those of you, and there may be someone here who's never met Jesus in a meaningful way, Now's your chance this morning. It's not an easy life, but it's a fulfilling life as you follow Jesus and as you um, submit yourself to him. And let's use, that, let's use that name, Yahweh. It's the unmentionable name of God according to the Jews, but for us is our hope and our salvation. We breathe it daily. So when you're in prayer times, take a few minutes. When you're in feeling stressed and in trouble. Andrew was telling me, he tells us, he, he used to tell his students at uh, Faith, just breathe that name Yahweh. 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 How powerful, eh? You know the, <clears throat> the really cool thing? Romans 8.15 says this, The spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves, otherwise you'd live in fear again. Instead, the Holy Spirit you received made you God's adopted child. And by the Spirit's power, we call God Abba. Abba Father. So powerful, isn't it? 